1: how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV
0: brand. It's Purple Daily. No, it
2: was a, a, a close game. I thought our defense did a phenomenal job all game long. Unfortunately, on offense, we just didn't put up enough points, and you know, lost a lost a close one, a tough one. And so, you know, it was it was one of those hard fought games in a tough environment. And um, I expect this Monday night to be much the same way in terms of the environment, in terms of the challenge. But as an offense, we need to have a you know, much better outing than what we had last year. Sometimes, when you're a writer and you write quotes that players say. If you cut them off at the wrong time, it can be really funny. So, like, with that quote by Kirk Cousins, if you cut it off when he said, I expect this one to be the same way, and he didn't clarify that he meant... Right. You don't want that. no. <laughs> I expect myself to throw it backwards to Latavius Murray and fail the score for four quarters. That's what I expect on Monday Night Football. A big day for us here on Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, Jonathan Harrison producing and as always on Mondays, Sage Rosenfels. Sage, instead of picking apart the dead body of a game, you get to preview it. How excited are you, sir?
3: Uh, well, it's always a nice preview in games. Pre- previewing this matchup. We were sort of Previewing a lot of it, uh, I felt like a little bit last week because it's such a big game uh, in the in the NFC. Uh, and obviously for the Vikings in the NFC North, I sort of feel like they're in the driver's seat now. If they win this game, you got to think that they're in the driver's seat to win the NFC North, and so this is a a playoff-style football game. Should be a lot of fun tonight.
2: This is a massive game for playoff position. Uh, If the Vikings win this one, they have a shot to, like you said, win the NFC North, and then you're talking about a home playoff game. If things play out a certain way with Green Bay doing what I expect them to do, which is win a lot of these games down the stretch, but the Vikings beat Green Bay on Monday Night Football, then you could be talking about the Vikings hosting Green Bay for a playoff game, which I think they would have a great shot to win. If it goes the wrong way tonight, you're not talking about being out of the playoffs, but all of a sudden the door is open for someone like the Los Angeles Rams to find a way to track you down if you stumble down the stretch or just to end up playing at Lambeau, for example, is a pretty likely scenario if, again, they win the games they're supposed to win and then the Green Bay Packers end up with the NFC North crown. You could end up playing them on the road for the playoffs, which I think would be really, really tough. And for Seattle, this is huge, too, because they can take the uh, top of the NFC West or, or you're talking about potentially them losing their number 5 spot that they're holding onto at this moment and if they lose that the Vikings could slide into that number 5 spot and potentially go to Dallas to play in the first round which you would love to see because Dallas is kind of a mess right now. So this one Sage has so much to it beyond just what's on the field, but also it's huge for both teams in terms of how the playoffs are going to play out.
3: Well, it's December football and there is, you know, these four games left and and so they're all going to be, you know, every week is going to be a new storyline and and how that changed everything and you have to finish strong. There's sort of four quarters to an NFL season. This is that fourth quarter and you have to finish it well and uh, as as you said you know this game uh is for both sides there's so much uh, meaningfulness that in, in this game and whoever wins this football game and and there might be this might be a season whether it's in the the NFC North with the Packers uh and the Vikings or in the NFC West with uh the 49ers and um, and, and and the Seahawks, one of the you know the losers of the the second place team is probably going to go to Dallas. I mean, I, I, that is that is crazy. Which might be like an eight win football team this year. There might this might be one of those years where an eleven win mm-hmm. or even a twelve win team uh, ends up going to you know eight and eight in the Jerry Dome in, in Dallas for the first round in the wild card round. So, uh, it, but so this game has all the impacts so of to not have to, not have to do that.
2: All right, not so have
3: to play that 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 road game in the first round.
2: Right. So let's talk about just kind of where this thing starts and it's always with the quarterback in football because it's football right but this is different for Kirk Cousins this is a guy that after week four was talked about as if he was the worst quarterback to ever play I mean he was being hammered up and down and of course the Stephon Diggs drama was going on the apology which was made way too much of but again it sort of spoke to where the national media had turned its radar onto Kirk Cousins, his contract, the expectations that were put on this team. And, Sage, I think it's really impressive the way that Kirk Cousins was able to put all that aside and continue to play his game and, and, and maximize the people around him and things like that and, and focus on what he needed to focus on rather than getting caught up in criticism. And I know it's not his first time that he's ever been criticized, but it felt like at that moment after week four, it was a turning point. It was, this thing is either going to be a huge bust This thing is going to be talked about like Herschel Walker trade, the Kirk Cousins signing, or this is going to be a success, and this is the time where it's going to go one way or another after week four based on how Kirk Cousins responds. And since week four, he's the best quarterback in the NFL by quarterback rating. I think that you just even you could play the schedule game and things like that and say they haven't played this team you haven't played that team, but the big picture is he's really shown up since that game when they needed him, and that's why they signed him, and a win tonight would be the cherry on top, I think so i mean of course a playoff win but but really a signature win for him that he doesn't have so far as a Viking,
3: yeah, this is definitely uh, a, a huge one you know uh against the uh, Broncos, that was sort of a signature comeback win, in a sense. Not against a great football team, but uh, that's one that the Vikings had, you know, needed and, and hadn't seen yet out of him. Yeah, and I, by the way, that, that criticism in the first month of the season, I feel like that was legit criticism. Oh, yeah. I mean, I agree. two yep. years earlier, the team had won 14 games. It was in the, the NFC Championship game. And then they signed him to a big deal, and it's, he has a very average season. You know, some good, some bad, some good, putting up good stats, but again, at the end of the day, winning football games—they only won eight games. They won half their football games last year, and then through the first four games, same sort of Kirk Cousins, right? So, uh, I think there was every reason to for people to be a bit pes- pessimistic, and uh, you know, about the you know through eighteen games of Kirk Cousins, where are we? Situation, and where are we going to go from here? Uh, and you start getting into the the window that this uh, this defense has, and we've got this young running back, and, and the offensive line issues, and it creates all these other conversations. And then you start winning football games, and a lot of those conversations going away. And I, and I like the fact you're bringing up you know, sort of kudos to Kirk through fighting through all that in uh, playing better football, uh, and that cause that can be, that's a lot. That's a lot of weight to carry as a as a quarterback. You know that the the fan base wants you to win. All the the, the people, uh, all the your players, your coaches. There's a lot of pressure for that quarterback to play really good football, and he wasn't consistently playing good football. But he really has over the course of the last. Was it six weeks now or something like that? Uh, he's been playing, you know, very very good football. But also the pieces around him have gotten better. I think there's also just tons of improvement. Yes. along the offensive line, uh, along the the running backs and the timing. The receivers, BC Johnson stepped up. The, the addition of Irv Smith uh, has been huge for this football team. We got two running backs. I think that the, the, the offensive team has also played a lot better. Which then Kirk again, we, you know, he's sort of one of those guys who does a great job as, as part of the engine, but not uh, you know not the, the the man who has to do everything on every single snap like you see you know some other teams have to do, have to do that with their quarterback.
2: Now going back to the criticism part. Kirk has tried many different approaches to answering this question. When he was first asked about it early last year, probably about the contract, Hey, you're getting ripped apart for your contract. You're not winning and things like that. Uh, he would say, Oh, I don't hear any of it, man. I don't even have the internet in my house. i TV? What's that? I uh only listen to Transistor Radio and uh the Purple Daily Show. That's the only thing I listen to. Uh, but, you know, he would play that game. And, of course, no one believes you because you have friends, you have family, you have a wife. She's probably on social media. She's probably watching TV. There's no way to miss all of the criticism. It's just impossible. Um So then he sort of moved forward to a different response, which was, look, I have a really good life, and I'm a happy guy, so you guys can rip me apart. It's the NFL. It's about winning, so I get it. And I think I like that answer better than the other one, where you're just lying. Um, You know, it just sounds more sincere to say, look, I I sort of try to put myself uh, with the horse blinders on and, and focus despite the criticism. But, you know, you were the backup for Brett Favre, leaving Green Bay to come to Minnesota And it had to be insane for Brett Favre, right? Like the the amount of uh, people in Green Bay who were mad and then he throws the interception at the end and how much he got ripped apart. How did he do it? Every quarterback has to be different, right, with the way that they block out what's going on around them.
3: I think Brett uh, sort of hid some of his... I don't want to use the word insecurities, but his you know struggles with pressure because he definitely had that. He and I had a couple conversations uh, about him feeling pressure to sort of be himself, to be Brett Favre. This guy who you know created miracles. For you know, over uh, what seventeen years or fifteen years or something mm-hmm. in Green Bay, and you know, you, especially when you're late thirties or you're almost forty years old, to be able to keep that up and 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 sort of creating those uh, great plays and, and big wins, that's a lot. And I think he sort of uh, I'd say he, I think he used a lot of the comedy stuff that you know, he'd slap guys on the butt and tell jokes and and you know, be sort of the locker room you know, storyteller or whatever. I think he did that because he probably did feel a lot of pressure. Uh you know, not, not just to win. I think he wanted to win so bad and knew how important it was to everybody and and everybody in the organization and all the fans. Like he gets it. He gets how passionate people are and, and he, he I think he did feel that pressure to win.
2: You know, I, I my theory on Kirk Cousins this year, what might be different in the way he deals with it is I think he took it personally before and he got to a point when he apologized to Adam Thielen and then everyone blew that up, which Personally, I wouldn't have wanted him to do that on his podcast, but whatever, right? It's not a big deal. It's just a a quarterback podcast show that shouldn't be taken overly seriously, but people picked up on it and went crazy. And it was almost like a breaking point of, you know what? They'll criticize anything I do, so I'm not even going to worry about it. He said in another press conference that people asking about his fumbles last year got in his head a little bit, because then he started going, wait, am I doing something? What am I doing? Is it this? Is it that? And then it, I don't know if it made him fumble more, because he always has fumbled, but that it was something he kept thinking about, and he had to go to the analytics people and be like, what can I do about these fumbles? And they said, uh, well, probably have your team recover them, because they had bad fumble lock last year, um, which you can't really control. But you could see that just by us asking all the time, he knows what's being said. It's being said that he fumbles too much. And with the Thielen apology, I felt a little bit more of, okay, you guys, and not specifically local media, but especially national media, you guys are going to rip me apart after every loss, no matter what. I can't do anything right until I actually win a playoff game. So forget you. And I wonder if that was a weight off of his shoulders when it came to the criticism that I think a guy like him would take pretty seriously and now seems to have kind of moved on from.
3: Yeah, and, you know, listen, the, the contract that he has and people go to that, that's not his fault. You know, congrats to him. If you want to have an issue with how much they're paying a player uh, and what his production is, yeah, that's we have to be critical of the general manager or Rob Brzezinski, if you got an issue with that, I mean, they're the ones who end up creating the contract that his agent signed or that he signed and his agent helped set up or whatever. So that's not his fault. And he is, in a lot of senses, played to like – Again, playing really well recently, but before that, uh, played like he had played his time in Washington. You know, big numbers, but not a lot of wins and a lot of sort of you know average uh, winning uh, you know to football teams or whatever. So, but again, big numbers, but you know, big numbers don't always mean wins, and all that really matters are the wins. And so now, I think he has sort of just moved past all of that and go. You know what? Winning does sort of cure every single drama on a football team or issue or somebody's uh you know upset they're not getting the ball enough or whatever you know winning uh, cures all those issues
2: and that's right that he probably handled that really well with the stefan Diggs thing and with cousins it would almost have like this weird reverse effect And, uh, and some of this of course is hindsight because we already know they won the games but whereas last year i think the team needed a better leader in 2018, because they went through a lot of things. They needed somebody to gather the troops a little bit. They needed a Case Keenum. They needed a Teddy Bridgewater. And this year, it was almost better to have somebody be like, that's Diggs's problem. I'm not even going to talk about it. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to involve myself with it. Uh, him going to the podium, Kirk, and saying, look, I've been around receivers who had uh, issues with management before, and I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not going to worry about it. I thought that was kind of almost the right tone to take to sort of say, I'm just going to do what I do and not get caught up in trying to tell everybody else in the locker room what they should be doing. Uh, I wrote about all this, by the way, at scorenorth.com about Kirk Cousins versus the critics. And you mentioned that some of the criticism, if not all of it, depending on who you're talking about, whether it's us or whether it's you know the outside world, through the first four weeks and through the first 20 Kirk Cousins games, totally justified in the fact that he didn't win the games he was supposed to win with him being signed and brought here to a very good team. Well, guess what? Tonight is another one of those games, uh, Sage. And I see tonight as a potential turning point for the way that Kirk Cousins is viewed. We know he has great numbers. They haven't really played anyone good. Now their best wins are against six and six teams after yesterday's results. This is not a yeah, but game. Denver is a great fourth quarter comeback, but it's Denver. Uh, you know, hey, you want a national TV against Dallas, but they might fire the coach because it's not going so good there. Or hey, good for you, you beat a six and six Oakland team who's terrible, right? Um, there's no yeah, but if they beat Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks, and it's on national TV, it's on ESPN. You know, tomorrow morning they're going to be talking about it nonstop on the Get Up Show. Uh, this is his chance to put his team in the driver's seat to be potentially to even get a first-round bye, depending on how things go. It's his chance to win a huge game on Monday Night Football where he's never won before. And, and and that adds an extra flavor, Sage, to this game that Kirk Cousins is carrying kind of years of narrative and years of criticism against him into this game tonight.
3: And this game uh, is against a team that knows how to win football games, but not by a lot. It's amazing if you look at the Seattle Seahawks. They're 9-2 on the season They've got four more first downs than their opponents. I mean, it's oh, that's I mean, wild. You know, yeah, that, that is very wild, right? I mean, they're they're winning close ball games, and you know, a lot of that. I that's where I, whenever it's two teams that match up that are very similar, I, I go with the better quarterback who seems to. There's just quarterbacks just seem to win these close ball games. Brady has done it forever, and Russell Wilson probably does it as, as good as anybody, and he's one of those quarterbacks that because he's a good athlete, he helps the running game. So they've got one of the best. Rushing, you know, teams in the NFL, but where Kirk has a big opportunity here is this is not the Legion of Boom secondary in Seattle. They're twenty ninth in the league in pass defense. Now, sometimes that's because you know, hey, we're winning a lot of football games, I guess, and teams are are giving up some yards at the end of the game or whatever. Teams trying to come back, but they've been in tight ball games that is a weakness of their team. Their secondary is poor, so that's a big opportunity, a big a big uh, uh, advantage for, for the Vikings and for Kirk Cousins to allow him to play better. The question is, is he going to have enough time uh, with that Seattle Seahawks pass rush?
2: Yeah, and, and that's what makes it interesting with Jadavian Clowney, and I, and I want to get into some of these matchups uh, here, like the one-on-ones and this guy versus them, and of course Adam Thielen's not going to be out, so let's talk about that on the other side of the break, but before we get there, on Russell Wilson's side of this Sage, this is an MVP type of game for him. Lamar Jackson clearly in the lead for the MVP, but Russell Wilson is right behind him. And if he has a great game against the Vikings, who even though the defense hasn't been great, still sixth in the NFL in points allowed per game, so a pretty darn good, very very talented Vikings defense. I mean, I think but it's. The, I think it's. The Seattle,
3: been, I was gonna say the Seattle offense is is much improved. Yes, I mean they yes, were a run is. only team last year. Now they're throwing the football. I mean, they're sixth uh, in the NFL in points, and they're third in yards. And this is not a team that was a big... Uh, producer of a lot of yards last year they were like a grinded out football team mm-hmm, yeah they refused to throw the ball against the uh, the Cowboys in the playoffs this is a different football team Brian Schottenheimer my old quarterbacks coach who uh, drafted me in Washington in 2001 he's got that offense uh, wheeling and dealing right now and Russell Wilson's obviously the main you know person in that and, and he is tough he's a tough guy to get to to bring down. He can create plays if you give him time to to run around a little bit. He's extremely accurate. He throws the ball down. I think he's the, the best, usually, statistically, he is the best deep thrower uh in the nfl and uh and he knows how to win football games third downs again though those are key aspects of the football game third downs red zone he seems to come through in those situations more often than not and and uh, this vikings defense is going to have their hands full
2: and i think this is as big of a game for wilson not that he's looking at the same sort of narrative about him he's got a super bowl win and hey they can never take that away from you you've always got it you've always won a super bowl But he also had this thing with, well, you know, their defense won the Super Bowl. And Marshawn Lynch helped them win the Super Bowl. And now this is entirely Wilson's team. And since it's been entirely Wilson's team, after Marshawn Lynch was gone, they haven't had as much success. And they do run the ball a lot, but you're going to live and die with Russell Wilson. I don't think it's the best top-to-bottom team, but he is one of the best quarterbacks. And he has an opportunity to put his team in the driver's seat to be the 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 team that we're talking about, the Vikings having the potential to be like to get that first round buy, and imagine that you get that first round buy and then a home playoff game, and you're Seattle. Like then you're really in the driver's seat to potentially go to another Super Bowl. So I think it's Wilson has a chance here to put himself in a spot to prove that it wasn't just the Legion of Boom that got them there the first time. It wasn't just Marshawn Lynch. Everyone knows he's really good, but he could put himself, I think, in another echelon, not just with tonight, but down the stretch, and that starts tonight.
3: Yeah, you know, a, a couple of things here. I mean, his stats this year, he's throwing for almost 3,000 yards. Again, we're three-quarters the way through the season, so he's going to throw for about 4,000 yards. He's throwing at 67%, 8.3 yards per attempt, which is phenomenal. 24 touchdowns and three picks. So that puts him on pace for... Uh, I'm no genius, what is that, uh, 20, 32 touchdowns and four interceptions? And we're like, he's you know he's sort of in second line to Lamar, Lamar Jackson as a player of the year. Mm-hmm. He's having a fantastic season. And he is one of those guys that, you know, the Rams have this situation where they just paid Jared Goff a lot of money. They were having a lot of success when he had that lesser salary. Now they've, you know, they don't have as much money for the salary cap, which they're going to have all sorts of salary cap issues there in Los Angeles but you know Russell Wilson's one of those guys where you know they did so well when he had that cheap salary he's gotten the big contracts and they've continued to to play well but they haven't as you said you know, going back to the Super Bowl. So, you know, he is carrying this team, and he is one of those guys where the contract is worth every dollar because he's a phenomenal. I, you know, I, I look at him as a top three, top four quarterback in the NFL.
2: And I wrote about this a little last week that if you really dive into Russell Wilson's game, the thing that people will always gravitate to is his ability to go off schedule. And he does that twice as much as the average quarterback. But he also stays in the pocket a lot. He also throws on his first read a lot. He also throws quick a lot. And guess what? He's one of the best in the NFL at doing all of those things. Him becoming such a complete quarterback, Sage, is really amazing to me. The development of kind of game manager early on and then just growing and growing and growing to now being a dual threat. But I think his biggest threat is out of the shotgun, runs an RPO, and hits somebody right on the money. I mean, that that to me happens a lot more with him than scramble around and make something special happen. Of course he can do that, and that's the highlight reel, and that's what sets him apart. But in my mind, Sage, he if you just said, oh, uh, Russell Wilson's got a broken foot and he can't run at all, he just has to stand in the pocket like Tom Brady, I
3: think he would still be really, really successful. Oh, yeah, if he wasn't a good athlete and... Was just a pure pocket passer. He's one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league. Uh, you know, I think when you go to Wisconsin, you automatically have to be a game manager if you're a quarterback, <laughs> yeah. Is that's yeah. sort of a that's right. like it's been training you. Of course, for him, he was only there for a short time, but he is a good game manager. Uh, he's also a guy that's deadly in two minute, and, and when they're in, you know no huddle offense, and they're trying to hurry up and trying to come back. Uh, but is it, he's he's a, he's a he's a very accurate quarterback, and he makes good decisions. And he's got a very strong arm. I mean, he really has the whole thing. The only thing he doesn't have is that he's five ten, and mm-hmm. that's just amazing how you know guys fall in the draft because of that one number. It has everything else and has proved everything else uh, in, in the college game, uh, but he didn't have that that height number. And uh, I, I like the fact that we're seeing some of these quarterbacks that have a different skill set. Other than the traditional pocket passer, because I tell you what, whether it's Russell Wilson, or who who is a good passer, or Lamar Jackson, who I think is becoming a very good passer, those guys have special skill sets and are a lot of fun to watch, and they're one of those uh, you know type of players Pat Mahomes is too, where you know people are happy to play you know to pay good money or just turn on the TV even if they don't really even care about the football teams to watch those guys play.
2: All right, let's take a break, Sage. When we come back, Adam Thielen out again. A, should we be concerned about him not playing the rest of the season with this hamstring issue? I don't know if you've ever had a hamstring, but we'll ask you uh, when we come back and how they're going to continue to make up for it. And also, I just want to say, good for one guy. Good for one guy. We'll do that when we return. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels on Purple Daily.
1: Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business? Visit FederatedInsurance.com to find your local representative federated mutual insurance company it's our business to protect yours
4: jonathan here with the score north download disappointing weekend for the gophers so we'll focus on the vikings with their monday night matchup kicking off at 7 feet 15 p.m over on espn tonight between them and the Seahawks out in Seattle, Vikings 8-3, and Seahawks 9-2. and Massive matchup as we head to the final stretch of the season for the Vikings. Kurt Warner was talking about this game and what it'll come down to on NFL Network saying.
5: When you look at the Seattle offense, they're not necessarily an explosive offense, an offense that goes and puts up 30 points every time out. What Russell Wilson does, and he's done it throughout his entire career, is We're going to keep the game close. Mm. You know, the game's going to be a one-possession game at the end, and then
1: Russell's going to be Russell. That's where he is so special. Late in games, when you need one drive to get your team a field goal, a touchdown to win a game, that's
5: where Russell Wilson is so good. And so that, to me, is what I, I believe this game is going to come down to. I believe it's going to be a close game, and Kirk Cousins is going to have to keep up with Russell Wilson late in the game. He's going to have to make plays to keep his team ahead or maybe make that final drive if he wants to beat Russell Wilson.
4: That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily.
2: Thank you, Jonathan, Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels here on a game day. Vikings and Seattle Seahawks tonight coming up in hour number two. Myron Metcalf off the top, then uh, Courtney Cronin will come by, Eric Eager as well. So we have uh, a very packed show here on a game day. Uh, I want to start off, Sage, with just a good-for-you shout-out to a guy on the Minnesota Vikings. Alexander Hollins is now on the active roster. Coming into OTAs, Alexander Hollins was dead last. I mean, absolutely dead last, not on just the wide receiver depth chart. I would have put him on the entire 90-man I would have put him like 87th out of 90. And he just got activated. He worked hard. He got onto the practice squad, not right away, but a couple of weeks into the season. It's like good for you, man. I mean, we see stories like that all the time with the NFL where guys are supposed to have no chance to make it, and then they do. And the Vikings seem to have a ton of these stories with guys that weren't drafted or seventh-round picks that end up doing something. So good for him.
3: Well, we call them diamonds in the rough, right? And No... uh... Better person to talk about that, and Kurt Warner coming out of the break talking yeah, true. Uh, about these two quarterbacks, Diamond the Rough, a guy from Northern Iowa. I, you know, I grew up in Eastern Iowa. He was from the Cedar Rapids Marion area, and uh, you know, again, North, Northern Iowa. And I, I, you know, if he was on the the training camp for the Packers and, you know, somebody saw him somewhere and played in NFL Europe and got picked up and ended up being the backup in St. Louis. And next thing you know, he's starting in a Super Bowl. Hey. I mean, uh, diamond in the rough there from, from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, the Kurt Warner. So I, I, I loved how he said... Of course, it did not give me a ton of optimism, but I loved how he <laughs> talked about uh, you know the base of this game is going to come down to Russell Wilson making plays in the end or Kurt Warner or, or not Kurt Warner, but uh, Kurt Cousins making plays in the end. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I like uh, if it comes down to that. Our quarterback making more plays than uh, the C- the Seahawks quarterback. That's going to be a challenge for the Vikings,
2: and that will be um, one of the matchups of the year, quarterback v. quarterback tonight. Um, but one of those quarterbacks will be without his top wide receiver, arguably. 1A, 1B, whatever you put it. Adam Thielen, a bit of a surprise yesterday, Sage, when we learned that Adam Thielen was not uh, going to the game on the team plane because he was not going to play. And you would have thought, okay, re-injures it against Kansas City. A couple weeks here, you get the bye week, and now you're going to go back and play after the bye week. Well, he doesn't play uh, you know, in Denver, and then you get that time off, and he's practicing more than he had been it would in the expectation he'd get out there. So a surprise to find out that he wasn't going to play. But I think one of the things that Kevin Stefanski, Gary Kubiak deserve a ton of credit for, and the front office with the way they drafted, is that they have been able to replace Adam Thielen's production by spreading it out to a bunch of different places, a bunch of different good players. And I'm not saying that they're not missing something. They're missing a lot in not having Adam Thielen. But it's really impressive the way that they've been able to make up for it.
3: It really is, and there's no way to... Uh, have somebody step into the shoes of Adam Thielen and and be Adam Thielen you're just not going to get that you know the best you're going to get is somebody that's probably 80 percent as good or something like that as your third or fourth guy having to move up and so the the way for a good football team to overcome losing a really good player is for everybody else's numbers to then uh, increase and we've seen that we've seen that of Irv Smith and obviously BC has been a great surprise really a a very, a very good draft, I would say, so far yes, this year. Totally agree. I'm extremely happy. I would, I wish Bradbury, uh, would be more consistent. Obviously, pass protection is going to be a challenge. I'm hoping that will improve in years to come. Uh, but you know what? He's also playing. You know, a lot playing all the all the snaps and and a lot of responsibility for a rookie center in this league. It's not an easy position to play as a rookie. So I'm loving you know Irv Smith and Madison in the third round and and they've really done a nice job in this draft. And as as the season gets older, you know these guys like Alexander Hollins get pulled up off the practice squad or maybe they were active but they really hadn't played much uh, before. But as guys get beat up and, and pe- the, the, the roster starts moving here and there, uh, you know, these rookies in some ways aren't rookies anymore. They have been through three quarters of an NFL season. They've been through four games in the preseason. These guys have already seen 16 football games. Okay. So this is that time of the year, December, when you say, listen, no one's a rookie anymore. Mm-hmm. You, you have to, you young guys have to play like veterans now. And, uh, and you see rookies making plays in the Super Bowl every single year. So there's something really interesting
2: that Seattle does that works against the Vikings here not having Adam Thielen. And that's that they use three linebackers, Sage. I mean, you and I would have been watching 90s football and seeing teams play the 4-3. And there's the Will linebacker and the Mike and the Sam, and they would be on the field for 90% of plays. And then when it was 3rd and 15, here comes the nickel corner out there, the dime. Now everybody's using nickel all the time, except for the Seattle Seahawks, which their base package really is a base, 4-3, and they have three really good players. I think this works against the Vikings, who have used Irv Smith a lot. Um, to get mismatches and to force teams to get their third linebacker on the field. Usually those guys aren't very good, but in this case, they are. So uh, how do we think that that changes the formula to have a team that actually plays a legit 4-3 when that's been one of your strengths is forcing team to play the 4-3?
3: Well, you know, I think a lot of times it has to do with if, if teams are going to leave three linebackers on the field, that's when the Vikings, uh, that's when you want to have put out three wide receivers right. or, or have Er Smith spread out wide, get that linebacker out in space, having to cover him in the slot, maybe with a little play action, and boom, you have Er Smith on a on a seam route or Kyle Rudolph. I mean, I when you have linebackers like that, you want to put them on in space, but you know they're a team that wants to stop the run first. They do a good job of that. They're sort of a win in the trenches style football team uh, and make you win. In the passing game and and that's why they're secondary not as good this year but they do a good job of, of using those linebackers and then they got really good ones they've had good linebackers during this whole uh, uh run here by Pete Carroll man they seem like they've always had one star linebacker on the football team every single year
2: no you're right and Bobby Wagner is one of the best players in the entire NFL but uh, KJ Wright and Michael Kendricks Both really good players. It's something that we haven't seen from another team to have three good linebackers that are reliable and can be played uh, most of the time. So that's definitely one of the matchups that I'm looking for for Vikings offense versus Seattle defense. There's a couple more, though, that are really interesting. Seattle defense was bad at the beginning of the year, but they add Quadre Diggs to their secondary, and all of a sudden, a little bit better. And, of course, the Jadavion Clowney trade, complete game-changer. What he did in San Francisco a few weeks ago, took over the game entirely. Sage, if he does that to the Vikings tonight, I don't think Seattle's going to lose if Jadavion Clowney has a game like that. And the last time that they played Jadavion Clowney a few years ago, he kind of was a game wrecker, too, in, in the same way. So I, I think that's going to be really tough for them to face somebody with so much power.
3: And I believe the contract year does that sound right yeah, to you or something yep, like that? Yeah, that is right, so, yep. Coming the end of his rookie contract, I mean, he, is, he is one of those classic, super talented guys out of the draft, sort of freak of nature, uh, body and ability. Uh, and then you get that guy in a contract year on a new football team. Uh, he is. I, I've seen him wreck a few games this year. He's one of those guys like Khalil Mack in Chicago that they're going to have to game plan and whatever that is. Is a running back chipping uh, on him? Is it always trying to have a tight end on his side to at least uh, minimize the lane that he has to pass rush? Uh, but he has you know such crazy. Uh, numbers, his arm length, and and uh, his quickness, and his ability to 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 move, and, and all those type of things in small spaces. Man, he is a a uh, guy that can really change this football game. The Vikings are going to have to do some things, game plan wise, to make sure he's not the guy that beats the, the, this Vikings offense. So, give me one
2: thing, Sage, that the Vikings did in Seattle last year that they absolutely cannot and probably won't repeat. Like some mistake that they made. His last year was one of those. Really memorable moments from a a meltdown type of season where they were in the driver's seat to go make the playoffs. We're having a lot of the same conversations leading into that game. Hey, go beat Seattle and then everyone can believe in you, Kirk. And he has one of the worst games of his season. They score seven points, but it was really just a garbage time touchdown at the end. He gets strip sacked. What was it last year that can't be repeated this year against the same team?
3: Those turnovers, those strip sacks are, are sacks are are absolutely huge, and uh, you know he's playing much better football this year. So what I have what noticed with Kirk is that he just, when the guys around him play really well, he plays great. Yeah, like he's one yeah. of those guys that. Absolutely, I want to have him. But if that left tackle is laid off the ball, uh, which again, you know, th- this type of uh, atmosphere is not going to be easy. But when you know somebody's laid off the ball or somebody misses here and there, then Kirk looks uh, like a crappy quarterback sometimes. It's not just the way it goes. And and he, the, the offensive line has played extremely well this year. I think they're to try to minimize those situations where a guy like Clowney can get those uh, uh, sack fumbles. The turnovers are really what you know kill the Vikings. And, and when they haven't won this year, a lot of times. It's been because of that so kirk has done a really nice job only three interceptions this year but as you said those fumbles still do occur from time to time
2: yeah and in denver that almost ruined that game was the strip sack and we saw it in chicago too what do you think is different with the picks? I mean, is it entire? Is it entirely Gary? Like, should should we be getting somebody right now, paying them to make a statue of Gary Kubiak to put outside of U.S. Bank Stadium? I mean, I, with with Kirk, a lot of it we've talked about it so much. Uh, the robo quarterback, where you program him up, and if everything goes right, he just goes out there and executes it. Um, but how much is Kirk just playing better, making better decisions, seeming more comfortable? And how much of it is legitimately just Gary?
3: I think, well, no, I think, I think Gary and I think Stefanski, you know, listen, he was only the courtier for three games last year and he basically came in and said, we're going to have a completely different offense than we've been running the entire season and training camp and all those things. And they did. They were much more conservative. They sort of were trying to just grind out wins. And remember, Kevin kept saying complimentary football. Uh, but what, I think what, what Gary does a great job of, uh, and I think Kevin is too, knowing both those guys, they, they love the detail. They are very much into details of how routes occur, how the offensive lines working together the the exact running backs landing point or I should say aiming point on these runs I mean they are very very precise and nitpicky on all these things and so when it's going well uh, it, it can be very very consistent and I think that's why you know Kirk is playing better I just think there's probably more detail this year than there was in, uh, than there was last year. you think they're going to win? I, I I'm not a prediction guy. I'm not. I tell you come what, on, though, they, you they win this. Do it. They win this. You don't this
2: get fo- to preview games very often, Sage. This is your chance.
3: <laughs> I tell, they win this football game. Um, you know they're going to have a chance to be uh, uh, the number one or number two seed. You got to think and even get a buy that that, that ends. If if a, if, uh, t- if on Wednesday when I come back on the show, if they've won this game, we're talking about. You know what do they have to do to, to what do they have to do to get a buy. Uh, in the in the first round of the playoffs, that would be huge for them to have that week off. And you know, this is a team that you know a month and a half ago we we're thinking, shoot, I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs this year. Looks like another eight and eight season, or or seven and nine, or something like that. So it's it's amazing how this whole thing has turned around. And and this game tonight, man, that that's this is going to be a huge step if they want to try to win a Super Bowl, which is why they signed Kirk. Uh, tonight is a huge, huge step on that journey.
2: So yes, you think they're going to win?
3: Um, I don't know. I, th- I think it's what um what Kurt Warner said. I think it's going to come down to the you know last five minutes of the game, and yeah. one of these two quarterbacks is going to make a play, uh, or one of these two quarterbacks is going to get a sack, fumble, uh, or something like that when when it's their chance to you know try to bring their team back to that final drive, and maybe it's Clowney or maybe it's D- Daniil Hunter or Everson Griffin. Hopefully, uh, it's uh, Daniel and, and Everson for the Vikings.
2: What if for the next ten minutes I just kept asking you, you think they're going to win, and then you gave a different answer every single time until the end of your hour? Uh, I mean, I'm
3: hopeful, you know, but I uh, you know it's it's football. It's any given Sunday, yeah. these are two very Eagle teams. You know, if you would have told me that the uh, what was it the Do- the Dolphins beat somebody halfway decent, they beat the uh, the, the Eagles yesterday, yeah, yeah. with all a puncher right. so, you know, touchdown pass. I wouldn't have made that prediction. I would have been way off. Uh, you know, twenty four hours ago. So yes. I I hate making predictions.
2: Okay, well, uh, before we wrap up the hour with you, and then next hour we've got Myron Metcalf, Courtney Cronin, and Eric Eager, all coming on to uh, preview the game tonight. They will make predictions actually on the show. Um, but uh, I, I want to f- ask you a few questions from around the league. So Jonathan's going to kick up some NFL music here. And I, I just want to throw some things out there. And, and you just give me kind of your instant reaction. Okay? Um, let's start with the Eagles game. Did you see the punter touchdown? I did. Is that the greatest play in NFL history? It's absolutely fantastic.
3: That's a great play.
2: What what happened there? Like, how does that happen? How is that legal? What
3: well, you know what it really was? If you actually break it down and, and sort of eliminate all the other players, it looks like the, was it the kicker caught the ball? Or the, or the, it
2: was the kicker who caught the, the ball. The kicker caught the yes. ball, the
3: punter threw the ball, right? Sort of shovel pass. But it's almost like a crack seam route, if you look at it. The kicker sort of runs at the safety, <laughs> lets him go, and then runs vertical. It's no different than past 15-week X read. I'm Tanya. it's the exact Amazing. same play I drew up on the board a month ago.
2: Okay, you know who needs that kicker, then? Is Tom Brady, after last night. I mean, of course, we could turbo snark all day about all my tweets from a few years ago about drafting Deshaun Watson, but we won't. Tom Brady's offense, his receivers look terrible, Sage. So they, terrible. Not, they have no not idea what doing. What is going it,
3: on? Well, and that's what still... Uh, the whole situation, um, with it, with Antonio Brown and that not working out. Yeah. And everyone thought, oh my God, of course, now the Patriots, they got all these receivers. Now it looks like they basically have one wide receiver that, uh, that Tom Brady totally trusts. I will say this that style of offense, this New England Patriots offense with McDaniel has been there off and on forever, it seems like. That is a huge menu of plays and details and intricacies, and you know Tom has all that in his mind, and Josh has all that in his mind. There's a lot of young players out there. Sometimes it takes years to catch up on all those details.
2: Okay, next question for you. Is uh, 40 points for Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City yesterday against Oakland. They beat the Chargers the week before. Are we kind of sleeping on Casey?
3: No, I think, you know, they're just, we don't, their defense just seems to be inconsistent to me, right? You sort of know the Pat Mahomes show, but the the question is in the playoffs, are they going to be one of those teams that try to outscore somebody 42 to 38 and where you go play you think about the ravens man i don't know that the ravens mahomes uh chiefs showdown that would be really something else that'd be fun to watch in the the afc playoffs
2: that was going to be my next question is this the most fun year of quarterbacking since i don't know i mean when marino young farve were all kelly were all still in the league playing against each other This is the most fun I've had watching quarterback play in a stupendously long time. And Mahomes last night, rolling out. I mean, he just does like a classic quarterback thing. Just points down the field, go long, Kenny Stills, throws it to him in the back of the end zone. And then what Lamar Jackson did in the muck yesterday, running around the San Francisco, great defense, and wins that game. It has really been something. We've got a lot of quarterbacks hurt. We've seen a (laughs) lot of backups, but... These guys at the top have been super fun.
3: They've been phenomenal, and we had a quarterback who caught an option. Uh, I don't know if that ended up being a forward pass yesterday. Deshaun Watson caught an ruled option. Ruled forward bland, pass, but, uh, yes. Ruled forward pass, and so, yeah, he had a cut. cut. I mean, you know, the athletes, the quarterbacks are athletes. Let me tell you, we can play all the positions. I think uh, offensive coordinators are trying to s- finally figure it out.
2: Maybe that's what they should have done with you, Sage. They should have made you the option quarterback.
3: Then, they, I got mean, I caught the option, and then yeah, you ball, ball, in, ball, go, go, go,
2: and instead of six and six, maybe seven and five. Yeah, maybe <laughs> you know, maybe
3: maybe um, it would have been the deal. There is a lot of really good young quarterbacks uh, that are athletic, that are playmakers, uh, but they're also good throwers, and that is uh, very exciting for the NFL because we all see this slew of older quarterbacks. From Rivers not playing well, Roethlisberger's been out for the year, Brady coming to the end, Breeze, who knows how long he's got left, uh, Eli Manning. There is a whole crew of quarterbacks in their late 30s or 40s that are going to be done uh, in the next year or two
2: so uh, is Ryan Tannehill actually good
3: yeah I think I think he needed the right offensive coordinator the right offense the right team around him maybe I, I think that is a part of the thing I think it's part of the deal a lot of times a quarterback is only as good as his coaching and it looks like to me Ryan Tannehill uh, has you know they did not get the most out of him in those first uh, what is it six seven years he was down there in Miami. Uh, they also probably just didn't have a very good football team, so maybe it wasn't always Tannehill's fault that the team just stunk. So it looks like uh, Tennessee might may have found their quarterback of the future.
2: All right, Mike Tomlin,
3: coach of the year, you think? Um I mean, that or that or the, or the Dolphins three quarter for the Dolphins head coach. Yeah, for winning uh, they, any
2: games they, got three right? games.
3: they trade everybody. They shouldn't have, have won. They shouldn't have, have won the,
2: these games. Yeah. Mark so, my uh, words, they should have lost on purpose. How about hey, did I not call Cincinnati? You bring back in Andy
3: Dalton. What are you doing? And you beat the Jets. Adam Gase, one and done, right? Um I I don't know. I the, the only way I say he's not is because the, if you look at the draft, I think something like of Forty-one of the forty-seven draft picks over the course of the last like six years are not on the roster or right. something like yeah. that. I mean, that is not the current head coach's fault. But uh, yeah, I mean he hasn't uh, he hasn't had much success since since Peyton Manning left him back in Denver.
2: Yeah, uh, big surprise. Total genius when working with Peyton Manning. Like me too. Yeah. Any anytime you can work with Peyton Manning, you're a total genius. Uh, what was the last one that I had for you? Guess who leads the NFL in
3: interceptions? James Winston? There you go. Yes. Right, you know? <laughs> it's yeah. What a surprise. Right. That not,
2: a, not a shock there. I, that was, I was thinking about that uh, the other day, of just how many quarterback situations are going to change, and that is certainly one of them, right? Like, they can't stick with James Winston.
3: No, the the NFC East, by the way, is epically bad. The Cowboys lean at six and six. Eagles five and seven. The Skins at three and nine. And the Eagles, or the Giants at two and ten. Giants definitely changed their coach at the end of the season. Correct?
2: I think so, but I wonder if they give Pat Shermer one more year and just say, you know what, this is a complete rebuild. They probably won't. It's New York. And that's what I was going to ask you about, though. One and done for Freddie Kitchens too. I mean, Doug Marone out. Right. I mean, all these guys. Definitely gonna,
3: I, I think definitely what I'm done for Freddie Kitchens. I mean, you, you have a billion dollar, I don't know what the the Browns are worth, probably over two to three billion oh, sure, dollars, yeah. and you have a coach, uh, you know, sort of sinking to the juvenile level of, of, you know, some fans that might wear a t-shirt about the, the, with this whole Pittsburgh thing. Unbelievable. Uh, that, that's not what you want to have your, way. you know, your sort of CEO, even if it was mm-hmm. just a joke. I just think it's, uh, it's, it's a waste of everyone's energy and focus.
2: That was the moment for him. Like He's had a bad season, but you could write that off as, hey, Baker didn't play as well as we thought he was going to play, and some of these moves didn't work out, but give me one more year, and I'll get it turned around. When you act like that, you become the distraction. Aren't coaches, Sage, usually telling everyone, hey, don't be a distraction, don't give bulletin board material, don't motivate the other team? And yet the head coach goes and does something so childish well, to do that. Go. And not only that, but isn't it just like downright disrespectful? I mean, what Miles Garrett did is one of the worst things to ever happen on a football field. I mean, a lot of former players and current players looked at that and said, that is what Joe Buck should call a disgusting
3: act. Some, yeah. Something that that's where you totally so so your totally right. lost your cool. And, and Freddie Kitchens is
2: making fun of that.
3: Yeah. I will, By the way, I didn't want to skip over it. Mike Tomlin. Yes, I think coach of the year, mm-hmm. seven and five. Uh, did Big Ben even play at the beginning of the season? I can't even first remember first
2: game, and he got hurt. I think.
3: Yeah. So they, you know, they they gave away Le'Veon Bell's gone. Uh, Antonio Brown's gone. I mean, they're their two best players. They're really the three best players over the course of the last like seven years or whatever it's mm-hmm. been they are gone and, and somehow they got seven wins and and have they they're definitely have a chance to maybe get that sixth seed.
2: Yeah, and even James Connors has been hurt. They're very good running back that took over for Le'Veon Bell. I uh, call me impressed. When they traded for Minka Fitzpatrick, the entire world thought, what are you guys doing? You should be tanking now that Ben Roethlisberger went down. And then Mason Rudolph doesn't even play very well, so you go to the next guy. And he gets a big win there uh, against uh, Cleveland yesterday, and I I thought I would wake up to Freddie Kitchens being fired after that, but also big credit for uh, um, for Mike Tomlin.
3: Uh, I was gonna say, by the way, Alabama two losses, something we just don't see very uh-huh. often. Yeah, is I I think I saw four articles is uh, uh, after that loss was you know is Alabama done? Is Nick Saban going to go to the <laughs> NFL? Is you know it's Clemson now the top dog in college football. Two losses. I cannot imagine that pressure uh, at Alabama.
2: Uh, first time since 2011 where Nick Saban and Bill Belichick lost on the same weekend. How <laughs> crazy is that? All right, give me uh, give me a thirty second reaction to the Gophers falling apart the other day. What'd you think of that one?
3: Uh, well, since I didn't watch the game, but I did. You didn't hear miss about much. It. You missed That's... like snow was
2: out there, but
3: looked like it was uh, second uh, half was brutal. Not great. Not great weather game. I tell you what; those types of games in that crappy weather. Uh, very much uh, in, the, in, very much in the advantage of a team like Wisconsin or even a team like the Iowa Hawkeyes, who are just so much relying on offensive line play and run the football. Uh, that was going to be that was game was sort of perfect, a perfect setup for for the Gophers to lose just based off of the conditions.
2: All right, Sage, who's winning tonight? I almost, uh, I thought I was going to get you. No, didn't, no, didn't get you. Okay, that's fine. Sage, on Wednesday we get to pick it apart. Uh, What happened tonight and we're either talking about how can they go be a Super Bowl contender or we're talking about how are they going to hang around and make sure they lock up a playoff spot. So a big difference in uh, tonight's result to how we're reacting when I talk to you next on Wednesday. Great stuff, man.
3: Yep, sounds good. Uh, looking forward to Wednesday.
2: Sage Rosenfels there, former Vikings quarterback. Coming up next, Myron Metcalf of ESPN. He will give predictions. Uh, Courtney Crone is in Seattle. Eric Eager uh, from Pro Football Focus as well will stop by and give us the numbers on tonight's game as we continue to get you ready for Vikings and Seahawks. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. TCL
1: is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. <laughs> It's Purple Daily.
2: Uh, the play actions, you know, he's really good at the, the boots and the play actions and, you know, getting the ball vertically down the field. Uh, Lockett, you know, is a tremendous receiver, Metcalf. So, you know, I think it's just the way, the style that they want to play. You know, I, I talked to Pete, uh, I think it was my first year, and, uh, you know, we were
6: running the ball pretty good then, play action. I said, yeah, we're trying to be like you.
2: Mike Zimmer's answer to a question I asked him about the Seattle running game, helping Russell Wilson and the passing game. Matthew Collar here back on Purple Daily. And uh, I have to ask Myron Metcalf about this. Three of your colleagues on ESPN, Myron, all just picked the Seattle Seahawks to win. You know what that means. If the Vikings win, it will get tweeted out a million times. Ha! you guys picked the other team and look how stupid you are. So that's that's <laughs> going to be a thing. What do you think?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's how it always is, right? I mean, but the thing is, like, you got two good teams, yeah. so anything can happen. But but I think most people are probably on that side of the fence, considering where it is, right? I this is a game where I think you got two comparable teams. Uh, being in Seattle matters, I think, a lot for this matchup. I, I don't know that there a lot of folks who are confident that the Vikings can go and beat Seattle on the road. Um, but I still think it'll be a good game. It could go either way. A lot of big strength for both teams, weaknesses as well. Uh, obviously, Adam Thielen uh, for the Vikings. How does that affect the use of the tight ends for Minnesota? But, then, you know, Tyler Lockett hasn't been 100%. They got some return questions in Seattle, so I'm looking forward to seeing it.
2: So who should really trust their team? Like you said a few weeks ago, and it really stuck with me, that you just don't really trust the Vikings. And then they go out against Denver and get down 20 points in the first half. like yeah, pro- yeah. Proving your point that it's hard to completely trust them, even though they have a really good record and great statistics and things like that. But I look around the NFL and think, gosh, who really trusts their team? Like out in Seattle tonight, are the Seattle fans walking into that stadium going, <laughs> We're Seattle. We're going to win this game. I don't think they are either because they have enough weaknesses and that sort of puts Minnesota in a very interesting mix in the NFC where San Francisco lost to Seattle and lost to Baltimore and New Orleans had that blip on the radar against Atlanta. So they're not perfect. Green Bay got run out of the building, you know, a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, I think that uh, this game really decides who can trust their team in big games.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, go back to Baltimore losing to Cleveland somehow, right? I mean, yes. this is yeah. a league where a lot of craziness can happen. I'll tell you what Seattle fans are probably thinking. They're thinking we have had multiple situations where the only reason we walked away with a W was because our quarterback played Marvel Avengers football. <laughs> he played this sort of next-level ball. So I don't know that that's a comfortable feeling. Like, you go back to the San Francisco taping, Wow, how amazing was that? But you go, okay, 90 out of 100 times, does it go San Fran's way? I think so. Yeah. Just because you needed Russell Wilson to be so miraculous, and I think that's the team that Seattle is. Whereas Minnesota is a team where you go, okay, defensively if you avoid some of the big breakdowns that have cost them in the past, the offensive personnel has been solid enough to where they, they become a pretty reliable group. In Seattle, they're going, we know it's coming down to the fourth quarter, And Russell Wilson making big plays, and that is the position they've been in multiple times. Now, they've come out on top, but can they do that against a good Minnesota team? I think there are two teams and two fan bases that probably feel the same about their respective teams. We like you. We think you have a chance to make a run, but we're not all the way in in terms of trust.
2: So – in the past, when the Vikings would play against the Packers, we would just say the word Aaron Rodgers and then go wah, wah, right after, right? Like it just yeah. he was playing at such an unbelievable <laughs> level for a while. It yeah. was just terrifying to even say his name. And that's not really the case now with Rodgers. He's still real good, but super washed and just you know you think you can beat him it, when they come here for Monday night. I'm not doing the uh, uh, thing because I think they can yeah. beat the Packers when they come here for Monday night. Russell Wilson, though, might have that to him this year. When you look at the way he's playing, not just outside the pocket, but inside the pocket, too, he ranks among the top quarterbacks in quick throws when he's throwing to his first read. Even if you make him stand in the pocket and throw the ball, it's not like that's the way to beat him because he can do just about everything. And the Vikings' defense is all of a sudden vulnerable, uh, Myron, to the passing game, more than they've been in the past where Brandon Allen, now benched, has a decent half against you. And Case Keenum has a decent half against you. And Chase Daniel and Matt Moore. That doesn't really bode particularly well for the Vikings here. Are you feeling shootout in this one?
0: Well, I definitely uh, could see that happening. The thing with the quarterbacks you mentioned, right? And I've said this on the show, Kyle, I really have. I trust Minnesota more against good teams than I do when it's right there on the plate Right. Mm. Matt Moore, oh, they're going to go to Kansas City, and they're going to beat Matt Moore. How do you, I mean, you're not going to lose to Matt Moore in the Chiefs. You did. Okay, you're going to go to Chicago. Chase Daniel, come on, you're going to beat him? Like, this is a team where I honestly think they're better when you say you're going to Dallas, everybody thinks you're going to lose, uh, this is a tough environment, a tough opponent, and you come away with the win. Minnesota actually is better in that situation. It's when you go, it's right there, it's got to be an easy game where they almost start to overthink it and you see a situation where you're down 20-0 to Denver. Um Whereas I think Russell Wilson does have that wow factor. I mean, going back to that Thursday night throw to Tyler Lockett, still maybe the greatest yeah. throw we've seen this year. I'll say this, Colin, and, and maybe this is silly, but I think a lot of people might be in this boat. If you're starting a franchise today and you're trying to build a franchise build it into a playoff contender and a team that maybe went to the Super Bowl. How many quarterbacks are you starting with over Russell Wilson? Not many. Maybe Mahomes? You know I mean? It might be Mahomes. Uh, You know, there just aren't many that you're saying, okay, I'd start with that guy over Russell Wilson. It's almost like we get enamored by his consistency, but we don't acknowledge how great he's been because he's been great for so long. And he started doing pretty early in his career, playing at a high level. Now it's sort of like, oh, yeah, Russell Wilson's good. I mean, you see him against San Fran, and you're like, oh, my goodness. He's more than good, man. Yeah. I mean, he he is one of the greatest quarterbacks we have seen and one of the greatest quarterbacks in the league right now. But that can put up big numbers in the same scenario. Quarterback play down the stretch will be important. We know what Russell Wilson can do, but Kirk Cousins has a lot more help.
2: Talking with uh, ESPN's Myron Metcalf here on Purple Daily. Eric Eager coming up in a bit. Courtney Cronin from Seattle as well as we prepare you for the Vikings and the Seahawks tonight. And, of course, as always, we'll have ScoreNorth.com coverage. And Judd and I will record late in the evening a podcast reacting to what we just saw on the Purple Daily podcast feed. So make sure you check all of that uh, out. Uh, This game, Myron, has uh, narrative busters all over it in a way. Um, Kirk Cousins can prove he can play on Monday Night Football where he's oh and whatever. And even though his numbers are actually quite good in primetime over his career, that's gonna hang over him until he wins against someone good in primetime. Right now, the Vikings' best win is against Dallas, who's six and six and might have the second worst coach in the NFL next to Freddie Kitchens. <laughs> yeah. And and they beat Oakland, who's 6-6, six and six, but has a minus 84-point differential. This one will have no asterisks next to it with Kirk Cousins. If he goes out to Seattle and plays really well tonight, then you can say... Something is different with this man. I don't know what it is. I don't know why he turned this corner, aside from having Kubiak and a lot of help around him. But this is usually the game, even when he has a good scheme and a good set of receivers and so forth, that he still doesn't win. He's got an opportunity to completely change that tonight.
0: Oh, 100%. You know, I was talking uh, to some folks today about Bray, right? Brady's numbers aren't what they've been at his height, at his peak, right? So now there's the concern of, is is he fading at age 59 or whatever he is, right? But he's a guy where even when you look at the numbers and they're not what maybe they've been at the peak of his career, you still know he's Brady. And you still know in those critical moments who you're going to get. It's the opposite, Kyler, with Kirk Cousins. If you just look at paper, right, if you look at the numbers and you say, here's a guy with his QBR his completion percentage, his accuracy of production on play action. If you just look at that stuff and just hand those numbers to someone, mm-hmm. that person is going to say, this is one of the greatest quarterbacks in the league right that's now. Right. I mean, of course you want this guy. But then if you see him play and you see him in these big moments kind of shrinking, that's when you go, I don't care about the numbers because I don't trust him in those moments. He wins tonight, and I think all of a sudden the what we see on paper begins to align with what we've actually seen on film, seen in games. And then you'll start to see people go, oh, wait a minute, those numbers are real. If he struggles, if he does what he's done too often throughout his career, you know what we're going to say? I don't care about the numbers. I care about what I know, and that's when that clutch moment arrives, he's not going to be ready. And the challenge with that is this is a team that will very likely be in a position where they've got to go win on the road if they're going to advance in the playoffs and maybe make a Super Bowl run. That's why I think tonight's so important. How do you show up in a crazy environment that could be sort of a duplicate of what you face long-term in the playoff picture? But if Kirk is bad, it's going to be the same narrative. I mean, You can honestly say he has a chance to rewrite a portion of the narrative about him and his career with a great performance tonight.
2: And what a coincidence, I wrote about that at scorenorth.com, our website, and you can go there and Look read at that. about it. How about that? You walked right into that yeah, one. Yeah, I'm Stockton to Malone, baby. Um, <laughs> Stockton to Malone. What? Yes. <laughs> Wait, am I stalking? Well, okay, I don't well, forget. I know what you <laughs> Maybe you could be, uh, yeah. All right, we'll just leave that one alone. Um, you could be Mark Jackson. I'll be Reggie Miller. I'm good from Marks deep. Reggie. That works. Yeah. And, works. and you that have works. a low center of gravity, ready? so you can back someone yes, down true. to the post. Um, That's true. That's what I was good at. Yeah. You
0: know, like eighth grade basketball, man. I was ferocious. <laughs>
2: uh, so, do you ever think about Myron? How funny it is that when we talk about Kirk Cousins, it's all correct in to say that hey, the guy hasn't beaten good teams in almost every year. He's been a starting quarterback. He's had games where he could get his team into the playoffs or win a playoff game, and he just hasn't shown up in that particular game. But it also feels antiquated the way we talk about Kirk Cousins, like saying the words. Clutch and can he be a winner in 2019? Feels like I should be Mike and the Mad Dog in 1992 or something, right? Do you, you ever find this sort of funny? But I think that with Cousins, he's the very rare quarterback where it is fair to talk this way.
0: Yeah, I think it is fair. And I think we have never had more tools to assess quarterback play, uh, to assess players in general. And I love the analytics, I love everything that we do today. and. You know, whether it's pro football talk or, you know, pro football focus, I'm sorry, or football outside, there's all these tools we have that tell us, like, how good a player actually is. We've never been able to do that in the ways that we can today. However, you also have to consider <clears throat> what the general public thinks. And the general public doesn't care about that stuff. Like, the general public isn't studying QBR and passer rating and all those things. What they see is really simple. It's results. Win and loss. Wins and losses, mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and and what you do over the course of a career, and I think Kirk Cousins uh, could kind of be like. Let me let me say this: Kobe Bryant. I'm going to bring him up, right? I'm not saying Kirk Cousins is Kobe, but the way we view Kobe in the analytics era is he was a volume shooter who played maybe one of the worst opponent runs in title history. He got five championships. But it wasn't like he was playing all these great teams. And now when people talk about great basketball players, he's kind of down on the list because, you know, the numbers now, the analytics say that he wasn't a good player. However, if you say the name Kobe to fans that saw him, they're going to tell you he was great. Yeah. And there's nothing you can tell them to change that. Kirk Cousins, to me, is the opposite of that. He's a guy where you can tell everyone about the analytics and his QBR and all of these things that really make you sound pretty smart. However, fans don't care because they want to see results and they're tired of seeing him in the same situations and not executing. And that's how he'll be defined for the duration of his career unless he changes that. And I do think tonight is an opportunity to say, listen, you win at Seattle, where can't you win, Colin? If you win at Seattle tonight, where can't you win yeah, in the NFC right. playoffs?
2: Yeah, you can win anywhere. I uh, still say San Francisco will be pretty tough, but I generally overall agree, I mean, since Seattle did beat San Francisco. What's interesting about Cousins is that the analytics always kind of pointed to him, like the reasons why he hasn't been a winner, like third down and longs and things like that, big-time throws, throwing into traffic. And this year, not so much the throwing into traffic part, but the big-time throws, third downs, he's changed that all around. He's been really, really good. And whether it sustains, that's what's going to be fascinating, and we start to find out tonight. Who do you think wins this football game, Myron?
0: I think Minnesota wins. Um, I think Dalvin Cook has a huge day, and I think they just cut him up with play action, but I think it comes down to a crazy fourth-quarter drive where the defense has to make a stand, um, and, and they get the win by by three. I mean, it's not going to be a yeah. 10 points or something like that, but I think they win.
2: All right. Well, Myron, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. You and I will get together um, on Friday, so I'm looking forward to that. Thanks, man. Sounds good, man. Myron Metcalf there of ESPN, and we jump right from one of my favorite people to another one of my favorite people from Pro Football Focus. Uh, a late add to the roster here. We'll call him the uh, the Brett Rippin, who we just add to the, to the bottom of the roster. Um, Pro Football Focus is Eric Eager. What's going on, Eric?
5: Yeah, I think Brett Ripon's better than Drew Locke, so maybe you know, maybe it's not such a bad thing.
2: Yeah, well, I just picked that out because the tweet right in front of me was Broncos re-signing Brett Ripon to their practice squad. So um, take that for for whatever it's worth. But uh, Eric, where I want to start with you is Adam Thielen's continued absence. Kirk Cousins has been actually terrific without Adam Thielen, which you wouldn't have necessarily said was going to happen when Thielen went down with a hamstring injury, but. This is a little different. This is having to beat Russell Wilson. This is having to go to Seattle without Adam Thielen against a team that oddly uses three linebackers all the time and takes away a little bit of your advantage there with big personnel. So what do you make of the matchup now that Thielen is officially out?
5: Yeah, as you said, no one runs more base personnel, you know, fewer than five defensive backs on the field, more than Seattle. And I think... You know, they they ironically have played a schedule that hasn't made them pay for that. I mean, the Thursday night game, the Rams really ate them up with 11 personnel. Uh, there, have been, there have been other games where the defense hasn't looked very good. Um, but like last week against the Eagles, the Eagles had, you know, terrible wide receiver injuries. And, you know, unfortunately for them, they couldn't take advantage of the base personnel uh, that the Seahawks employed. Same thing this week. Uh, you probably know this better than me, but I think the issue – with the the Vikings missing Phelan. I mean the, the the worst that they've played offensively during this stretch of time where cousins has played well was the game where they plan on having Phelan for the majority of the game, he went out after about five snaps, Correct. and they were sort of they were sort of struggling after this week, and again, you probably know this better than me. It seems like they were planning on having him. Uh, they, they cut Josh Doxon early on, uh, and you know he came up on in the injury report later in the week. I wonder if that's sort of the common theme, you know, if they struggle tonight offensively, if that's the common theme uh, with, you know, Thielen being out, if they give them the whole week, they're probably fine. But, you know, in a pinch, uh, they sort of struggle to find a complementary receiver to Stephon Dicks.
2: I definitely agree. He was questionable throughout most of the week, or I'm sorry, limited, and then listed as questionable. And my feeling was that he was going to play. Ian Rapoport reported that the the, the general feeling within the building was that, he was going to play, and then it came as a surprise that he wasn't even going to travel. He wasn't even going to walk out onto the field and, and give it the old college try before the game tonight. That was surprising to me. Um, but the difference, I think, that between losing him and you know continuing to succeed is whether they can work the ball to people like Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph. Mm-hmm. And the difference maker there is these linebackers and just how good they are, Eric. It's not... Okay. They use three linebackers all the time, but they stink. Like they're good players. Uh, you know, KJ Wright is good. Bobby Wagner is great. And Michael Kendricks can play also. He was, uh, you know, a big member of the Eagles team when they won the Super Bowl. But at the same time, I still think there are some mismatches there to be had. How good is Seattle's defense right now? Not like, you know, at the beginning of the season where I think they were garbage, but I think recently they've played pretty well at times.
5: Yeah, Seattle's really interesting as a team because every year you want to say, okay, this is the year where it's all going to crumble. And, you know, last season it was like, well, but they do have, like, superstars in their team. They have Bobby Wagner. They have, uh, you know, uh, it was uh, Doug Baldwin. They have, you know, Earl Thomas and obviously Russell Wilson. And then Earl leaves, uh, you know, Baldwin leaves, so on and so forth. And they've, they've still cultivated superstars. Wagner's one of the best players in the NFL At his position, he's taken a little bit of a step back this year, but he's still really, really good. You know, K.J. Wright's a terrific player. Uh, And then they added Jadavion Clowney. I know he's dealt with the hernia a little bit, but he's probably going to play this week. And he's just somebody we saw, you know, in a very similar matchup on a Monday night football game a few weeks ago. He he basically single-handedly destroyed the San Francisco offense and their ability to throw to backs and tight ends by just providing, you know, pressure in the passing game. A great run stopper in the run game, and and to me, like when I look at that defense from one to eleven, they're not. I don't think that they're particularly good, but from one to three, I think they're they're as good as any team in the NFL uh, with Wagner, uh, Jadavion Clowney, and then you know KJ Wright is sort of the third superstar in that defense.
2: And what we've seen from the Vikings offensive line is that one thing they're susceptible to is one player ruining the entire game. In Week Four, that was Khalil Mack. He had something like. I don't know, 12 pressures or something crazy. And in the first half, even against Vaughn Miller, he did kind of the same thing to the Vikings, uh, you know, when they play Denver, where it's one player who's making such a huge impact. I think that the possibility for that um, comes tonight. But you know what's really interesting to me with these two teams, Eric, is. We hate to talk about establishing the run, and it just is one of those things where your brain immediately shuts off. It's like when someone says culture, you just go, like I'm not going to listen to anything else you have to say. But both of these teams seem to live off of getting to second and five or second and four. And it's changed the way that I've looked at it a little, watching this so closely, how every time the Vikings are in second and six, five, or four, three, they can run their play actions and take shots off of that. And Seattle does the same thing. I think this game has the potential to have a lot of runs on first down, which we all sort of will roll our eyes, but also big, deep shots down the field. And this could be a high scoring one.
5: Yeah, I think if you're a Vikings fan, you really have to hope for that, right? Because, you know, when they get into a situation where they have to get light on offense, they're playing 11 personnel, they take the tight ends off the field uh and they, and they ask Kirk to go in a shotgun and throw the ball um especially with the receivers that they have uh it it becomes a long night for them right but when they can sort of stay ahead of the sticks and again the easiest way to stay ahead of the sticks is to throw the ball to Stefan Diggs on first and 10 but you know provided that they're going to hand the ball uh to Dalvin Cook and you know be in second and 6 second and 7 um the the best thing that they can do is to keep you know the the big guys on the field run play action, throw the crossers, throw the ball the underneath to the backs, uh, hit digs on the deep ball, you know, the deep crossers and the deep shots. Like, that's where they can win. And I think Seattle's defense is pretty disciplined and they're pretty uh, sound, but that's the way to beat them. The way to beat them is to not get behind tonight uh, and have to get out of your, you know, get in, you know, three wide receivers and so on and so forth uh, and try to exploit them that way. Uh, it's to stay ahead of everything. And both teams do a pretty good job of that when they're, when they're winning.
2: Let me give you, for my last question, Eric, a Hot Routes question from a few days ago. Who would you compare Russell Wilson to historically? Clearly no one's this short, but the rest of his profile.
5: Yeah, that's a really good... Oh, man, I'm trying to think of, like...
2: I'll give you who I said. I said Steve Young. like Very very athletic. Yes, Doesn't have to necessarily run accurate in the pocket, out of the pocket.
5: Yep. The difference, I think, the only difference, but you're right. I mean, he, Young is the only player in NFL history that has combined. So you look at, like, Randall Cunningham. Randall Cunningham was never as efficient as Russell Wilson is, right? From day one, Wilson was a 100-pack quarterback rating guy, uh, along with the athleticism. Uh, I think also Cunningham was a little bit of a better runner. Young, uh, you know, his early days in Tampa Bay weren't very good, but set, from the moment he got into Mike Holmgren's offense in San Francisco – he was the league's leading passer, and you combine that with running that can break your back. Running is not a necessary part of Russell Wilson's game, but it's a an add-on mm-hmm. that goes in, in conjunction with how brilliant he is as a passer. I think it's a great, I think it's a great comparison, and it just shows you how sort of otherworldly we are in the NFL right now. Where a guy like Russell Wilson really doesn't have a true comparison in league history. We have to go to basically a left-handed quarterback in a West Coast offense <laughs> to find the closest one.
2: Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes for any of these guys. I mean, I, you keep hearing, oh, uh, Lamar Jackson, Michael Vick. Only the running, though. The throwing is that yeah. Michael Vick. The throwing has been brilliant this year. So uh, it is a wonderful time that we live in for quarterbacks. Uh, Eric, great stuff. Uh, thanks for coming on. Let me ask you before you go. I couldn't get Sage Rosenfels to predict who was going to win um, because he's a football player and he didn't want to do that. Who do you think will win tonight?
5: Yeah, it's an interesting one. I I think it's close. I think Seattle ends up winning the game. I've I've said before that I think the Vikings are a live underdog, and I do agree with that. But I think it's a field goal game on either side, and and just because they're playing in Seattle and they have the better quarterback, I'm going to go with Seattle. But I do think if you're a Vikings fan, you certainly don't have to go into this game worried that your team is going to be competitive. I think the Vikings keep this one close.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. Eric, thanks for your time, sir. Thanks for having me. Eric uh, Eager, special guest usually comes on like Wednesdays, but there's a game tonight. Follow him at PFF underscore Eric and uh, listen to the PFF forecast podcast. It's really good. I mean, it really is. Him and George Shahuri. Maybe we can get George on later this week. Um, But I listen to it all the time when I'm running, so it's it's awesome. When we come back, Courtney Cronin is in Seattle, and she's going to tell us what the hell happened with Adam Thielen. He was trending toward playing, and now he's not. So we will uh, discuss Seahawks Vikings game of the year definitely right now so we'll uh we'll be right back we'll continue talking about it here on Purple Daily
4: Jonathan here with the Score North download the Score North podcast network consists of more than a dozen shows from Purple Daily and Raised by Wolves to the Scoop with Doogie and and Unchained, you can find a full list of these Minnesota sports podcasts over at ScoreNorth.com, the free Score North mobile app, or just search Score North S K O R North anywhere you find your podcast. We're counting down till kickoff for Monday Night Football between the Vikings and the Seahawks. The final injury report came out yesterday. Ben Gideon IR. He is out for the rest of the season. Linvald, Joseph, Harrison Smith, Anthony Harris, and Shamar Stephan are listed as questionable for tonight's game, and Adam Thielen was a late addition as an out for tonight's game, despite trending towards being able to play tonight. That's been your score, North Download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Well, that's the
2: perfect place to start with ESPN's Courtney Cronin, who is in Seattle. Uh, what happened with Adam Thielen, Courtney?
6: Well,. Like we reported earlier in the week, he goes to practice on Tuesday. They're outside, um, and it was a short practice. But from what I was told, the reason we didn't see him practicing on Wednesday is because there was a slight scare, and that's not necessarily a setback. It was just they wanted to be really cautious with the hamstring. I don't know if it wasn't feeling so great from being out in the cold. Whatever the reason is, the Vikings decided, hey, we need to pull the reins back here a little bit, not have him practice on Wednesday. Obviously we saw him in practice on Friday and Saturday, but I think this is more of a situation now where they're just trying to be erring on the side of caution as much as possible. Like, you know, if they drop the game tonight, it doesn't really affect their playoff chances all that much in the grand scheme of things right now, they're still a six seed. Um, and they need sealant for the playoffs. Like that's what this boils down to. And whether he returns in a few weeks, whether he comes back next week, I think this is more of a cautionary tale to not rush back from these things. Adam, you know, was very candid with us on Friday talking about the fact that he felt like he came back maybe a little too soon. I think that was kind of the obvious answer uh, when he was asked about, you know, the Kansas city game and saying, you know, I'm not going to play if I'm not hundred percent because chances are, you're going to come out five plays into the game, but you're going to re-aggravate it. So to me, there wasn't any sort of huge out underlying issue that I was like, OK, like he's he tore this thing or, you know, it's worse than it was before. I think that they were maybe seeing, hey, it's not completely healed. No matter what we're doing right now, we still need a little bit more rest. And that's the that's the way that they went with it. So I don't know when we'll see him back. But um, this this to me is more of like, let's get him healthy. Let's get him in the situation where we're not even talking about this as, as a possibility of holding him back.
2: So how much should we put on the training staff? How much should we put on Zimmer? How much should we put on Adam Thielen for what happened here? Because it was a complete yeah. replay of Delvin Cook last year. And when this happens two years in a row, I think you have to ask, why didn't you guys learn from your mistake last year of bringing back Dalvin Cook too soon and then having to adjust on the fly and, and you, you had to do it again here with Adam Thielen.
6: No, you're completely right. And I think that's the frustrating aspect for this fan base when, you know, Adam comes down with this thing, he he pulls the hamstring after the touchdown or during the process of scoring that touchdown in Detroit, and the questions immediately go to Dalvin Cook and what this team learned last from the year before and how are they going to prevent this from happening again? Um, as far as like the finger pointing and, and realizing, hey, did they learn from their mistakes? Did they not? I know all injuries are different, but this team has had in like trouble with hamstrings. I mean, if it's not Dalvin Cook, it's Anthony Barr and it's um, you know there, there were several others even last year that I can remember uh, kind of being an issue, but you know the cook thing is where the focus is because Dalvin said, like, he's told all of us at multiple points, like, he rushed back because he wanted to play. And I don't know if Adam was doing that as much as, um, you know, but he, he talked about how difficult it's been for him to miss time. Because this is a guy who had, what, 85 uh, consecutive regular season mm-hmm. games where he was active up until the point where he had to miss that Washington game, some insane number like that. So, of course, he's going to be working hard to try to get back. But I... I think that the thing that you learn here is kind of like shame. You know, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. Or if it's vice versa, whatever. You get my point. Like, shut these guys down. Shut them down for a minimum of three weeks because you know you think about what happened with Dalvin after he reaggravated it in that Rams game uh, in week four last year. It took five weeks from the, or four weeks from that point before he could return. Mm-hmm. I think it was week nine. Um, and the, the the way that they did that was that that week going into that Saints game, they shut him down entirely, absolutely no nothing. You're not limited. You're not practicing, like, on a conditional basis. You, you are not doing anything. And that's probably the approach that they have to take going forward.
2: Talking with ESPN's Courtney Cronin here on Purple Daily. Well, you did uh, indeed report earlier in the week that uh, not so fast, with him potentially coming back. How big of a loss is it against a defense that is more well-prepared than most to go up against a team that loves to use the fullback, a team that loves to use uh, Irv Smith in the multi-tight end sets? It would seem Seattle is a, a unique beast when it comes to this because they do have three very good linebackers.
6: They do, and I think that when you watch you know, all that they do when they keep three linebackers on the field, even if teams are an 11 personnel, like, for whatever reason, they don't want to go to their nickel. And that's their prerogative. It's worked. Um, it's definitely a problem. Like, you want all of your playmakers on the field uh, and, and available to you to use whatever whenever the case is. But, you know, I think that a lot of us looking at this game, thinking from a critical standpoint, before we knew Adam was going to be ruled out, saying, hey, this is – likely a game that they don't win. Like, I mean, I, I've had this marked down as a loss. I mean, I know you make me repick the schedule every Every time, time you pick this loss, blows. yes. Yes, and I pick this one. I've, I've constantly had this as a loss just because I'm not necessarily looking at it from a standpoint of, of what they're doing on offense. I think it's the Russell Wilson factor that might be the dagger for this team. But as it speaks to Stephon Diggs being isolated um, and drawing more attention tonight, I mean, look at what they did last year. This is a team that, the week before, played New England. Both Thielen and Diggs got taken away in that game because of some just kind of unorthodox ways where they're playing man coverage on those two the entire night. That's exactly what Seattle did last year, too. So if they were able to take out both of them when they were healthy, I kind of have a not-so-great feeling about it tonight when you only have Diggs and then it's B.C. Johnson, Laquan Treadwell, um, and now we know Alexander Hollins was activated off of the practice squad. So, you know, I think the key tonight will be, you know, in staying competitive offensively. I mean, it, it, certainly the offense is in a much different spot than they were last year at this time when they were in Seattle. But the screen game is going to be huge. Tight end usage is going to be very, very big. And, you know, if they can get digs going early um, to kind of set the tone, maybe try to see that same sort of energy that Kirk brought that first quarter in Dallas – uh, to to jump out to an early lead, like a 14-0 lead, that might help their chances. But I do worry, um, you know, if you're the Vikings, just having Diggs out there, I mean, teams have figured out – I mean, he has been able to – I'll give him this. He's been able to make his own way with Thielen out more mm-hmm. than Thielen has been able to make his own way with Diggs out, if that makes sense. So, yes. um, you know – They should be able to find ways to scheme around it. I just don't know in the end if they're going to have enough horses to do that.
2: Well, it is interesting how they've been able to spread the ball around a lot, but this is a different caliber of team on the other side with Russell Wilson. and uh, Now, this is Mike Zimmer also getting a couple of weeks to prepare for Russell Wilson in that offense. And even though the Vikings still are very good in terms of points against This has been a great passing defense. Very unusual for Mike Zimmer. He has a couple of weeks to tweak things and change things around. Do you have any confidence that the players who have not played very well so far, namely Xavier Rhodes and Trey Wayans, can improve their play coming out of the bye and with changes by Mike Zimmer?
6: (sighs) That's the million-dollar question. Like He's had 15 days since the last game against the Broncos to try to fix this and, you know, pardon me for being skeptical here, but I just don't know how much you can change uh, in terms of the technique aspect in that time. Like these guys have been playing the cornerback position for, you know, Xavier Rhodes is what he's been here for seven years now, something like that. I mean, he's been playing a certain way his entire career. Trey Wayne's been playing a certain way his entire career and still struggles to play the ball. Like, I don't know how with the defensive pass interference rules and just some of the things that have really plagued this cornerback unit and really the entire secondary that now, you know, we're waiting word on whether Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris are gonna play. Um, I think it's gonna be a really, really tough feat because Russell is so good at getting outside of the pocket and just making deep throws down the field. He had like the highest QBR and throws a twenty plus uh, yards downfield I think uh, for at least a good six seven weeks here um, so that to me is you know the deep the deep threat is what's what the Vikings have struggled with um, in recent weeks and I just don't know I mean to me though if, if Mike Zimmer can fix this um, and if he if it has been fixed if, if we find out tonight that you know if they end up winning and if uh, you look at this and say, wow, they really limited Russell Wilson. Like, last year, they limited him on play action. I think he had, like, 90 yards total uh, off of uh, play action passes, which, you know, for a guy like Russell Wilson is a low number. But, you know, if he can fix this tonight, then that's one of his greatest coaching achievements, you know, I think to date, just in terms of what he's done with the Vikings, because they set out to do this. They said it has to be fixed. And I guess we're going to find out soon, you know, can it truly – can you truly change the way that your personnel plays with 15 days to do it in the thick of the season? And really
2: they've won the last two games because they showed up in the red zone and allowed a lot of yards otherwise, but at the end of the game in Denver and then at the end of the game in Dallas, that's going to be a lot tougher to do against Russell Wilson. Okay. Last thing for you, Courtney, we haven't talked about Kirk cousins yet, the pressure on the road, Monday night Mm -hmm. football. Um, It is one of the rare situations where, Connecting a quarterback to a win-loss record is, I think, pretty fair with Kirk Cousins because of the way he's played in the past. But, um, this year, he's changed that around so far. However, their best win is against six and six teams. So I, I think tonight, Courtney, especially since it's on ESPN and tomorrow, they'll be breaking this game down on Get Up and NFL Network, and it'll be a huge talking point across the NFL. I think this is Cousins' chance to, to instill a lot of confidence in his own fan base that this year is different, and to make all the people who ripped him after week four and said that the contract is a bust and everything else um, have to kind of apologize for that. I think this is his big opportunity yeah. to do that.
6: The funny thing is, like as writers, we're always looking for... I don't want to say narratives because I don't want to feed into that, but, you know, connections to a bigger storyline here. And every single week the season, whether it's, you know, the Chiefs game and then it's and then it's the Dallas game, like, it's the biggest game to date. Well, this really is. I mean, this is not the season here because they are in a good spot, which is given the cluster bleep that is the <laughs> Panthers, the Eagles, and everybody else below the sixth seed in the NFC. Um, they're in a good spot to to reach the postseason barring an ultimate collapse from week 14 to week 17. Like, win or loss tonight doesn't affect, like, it really shouldn't down the road affect whether they're going to make the postseason or not. But with this whole narrative around Kirk and the, you know, the worst win-loss record on Monday Night Football in in history – it's just another notch in his belt to show that he can play calm. He can not make decisions that will end up becoming costly errors that cost his team the game. Like, mm-hmm. truly, in any of the games that we've seen recently, it's not been Kirk that's the problem. It's the defense, and sometimes it's play calling. And I think that he's already kind of bucked the notion that he can that he no-shows uh, when the lights are the brightest. I mean, certainly he has just another opportunity to do that tonight, um, and he can certainly like if they do win, and or even if he comes close, and he's not the reason that they lose this game. Mm-hmm. Because I think you you write about this all the time. I've written about it. Look at the look when we talk about the primetime record. When you talk about the games on Monday Night Football, some of those games he didn't lose, but because he's a quarterback and because of the contract, people are going to look at that win loss record yep. and place more scrutiny on the quarterback. That's fine. That's what that's. Position you're in making $84 million on a fully three year guaranteed contract. But, you know, I encourage people to truly watch how Kirk plays tonight because if they lose this game, like, you know, the blame has to be placed in the right spot. And sometimes with Kirk, um, I think that that's on, it, it, he gets maybe a little bit, he shoulders too much of it. But the way that he's responded these last few weeks really, you know, you watch the comeback that he led uh, against the Broncos, and, you know, they were playing to his strengths by incorporating a lot of play action there in the second half, getting off to a quick start, um, you know, and even in Dallas, too. Like, he, he looked different to me. And, mm-hmm. you know, what I'm going to be watching for is to see, the, does that same Kirk Cousins show up tonight, the one who looked cool, calm, and collected, uh, in ways that we hadn't seen him? I mean, look, think about that Seattle game last year. In the first quarter, it really, in the first, I think it was the first drive, he throws the pass two yards behind him to Latavius Murray yes. with Adam Thielen's 20 yards open downfield. We haven't seen that, Kirk, in a long time. And I think that when people are holding their breath to see, is this real? Is this sustainable? And most importantly, will it get them to the playoffs and help them win games? That's the type of body language um, and just kind of the mentality of Kirk Cousins that I, you should be looking at because that's what's leading to the, the fact that they have a top eight offense right now and, and it's not just the run game it's Kirk factored into that too
2: okay with all that said you're not changing your mind still going Seattle
6: no I'm not uh I I've, I've had this one marked as a loss and I don't know if it's you know being negative or whatever um I just think that Seattle yeah their pass rush is not as good whatever Jadavian Clowney I don't care like I don't know if he's really changed this defense all that much but I still think, by and large, top to bottom, Seattle is overall a better team. And, you know, Russell Wilson has done some truly remarkable things this year uh, in his MVP candidacy. So, I mean, yeah, I'm not changing it. Uh, but I also don't. This also doesn't change my mind or my perception of where this team has the capability of going Mm -hmm. in the final quarter of the season.
2: Yep. I agree with you there, Courtney, that, uh, he does have this opportunity as we're watching right now on sports center, Lisa Salters, the sit down with Kirk, Kirk, how do you feel about winning the football games? Um, always, always fun. The funny thing thing
6: was about that. It's just like, I was watching that last night uh, after I got back to my hotel and it's, you know, the whole thing, like, they, they really do buy into Apology Gate because all the graphics that you're going to see coming out of this are Kirk Cousins week one through four, and then they're going to play the Adam Thielen sound of him in um, Chicago. Yep, looking I'm watching it right now, man. Adam then, Thielen. Yeah. Yep. I think they're probably re-airing the exact same package yes, that they had on yes. SportsCenter last night. But, yes, a lot of people buy into that now. And uh, as we know, the players on this team do not want to relive that.
2: No matter how many times we've tried to say on the show – the apology thing was just not really a thing uh it doesn't seem to have mattered that that was it was like a big sticking point so uh no surprise yeah. to see that courtney uh great stuff have a uh, i don't know fun time i hope they have a good press box meal for you tonight and things go well
6: they, i know that they have a beautiful view of whatever the pacific ocean yeah the pacific ocean i'm I know geography. I've seen a map before. But, yes, it's one of the most beautiful press boxes when you go away from the stadium and you're looking out. So I'm very excited to get over there and see that. Some
2: body of water, probably. Uh, Okay. Well, this geography lesson with Courtney is now over. So, Courtney, great stuff. We'll talk to you again soon.
6: (laughs) All right. See you tomorrow. (laughs) Yep.
2: Courtney will be on uh, every Tuesday or always is on every Tuesday. So she will be here to break it down tomorrow at 2 o'clock. All right. What do we got left, Jonathan? We have uh, six to seven minutes remaining. We've talked about Cousins. We've talked about Wilson, Zimmer, the defense. We've tried to break down everything top to bottom. We've gotten everyone's predictions except for Sage. What am I missing? Uh, you
4: want some NFL music? Why
2: not? Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, the answer is always Go yes. wrong with that. I could just be
4: talking about what I ate for dinner yesterday, and you played NFL music, I'd be happy. And it works every time. Yep. Uh, we haven't really talked about the kicking game at all this year, thankfully. Uh, after missing one extra point in seven field goals last year, Dan Bailey has bounced back to where he's historically been for his career as he's missed two extra points and just two field goals this season. What's your trust level in the Vikings kicking game if they're called upon in a big moment either tonight or the rest of the season. Because it's Minnesota, it can't be like 10 out of 10, right? Right. It just
2: absolutely cannot. Uh, But I would say that Dan Bailey is the most confident Minnesota fans should be in their kicker since Ryan Longwell? I mean... It's been a long time, but this guy is fifth all-time in field goal percentage. Yeah, And he dealt with an injury two years ago. And then last year, I have never really known the depth of this thing until this year. But (laughs) the holding was a legit problem last year. That Matt Weil, whatever, couldn't get it right. And Britton Colquitt is apparently great at holding. Turns out that's been a thing, and Dan Bailey is fine. If he has to kick a game-winning field goal tonight from, let's say, like 48... I say you trust him. I say you think
4: he nails it. All right. It's been great. Uh, Someone who wasn't great to begin the season but has kind of leveled off, I guess, Garrett Bradbury. I haven't mentioned his name in a while, but from all the rankings, he's kind of bounced back a bit from a pretty bad start. Has he made up for the terrible start and proven to be at least a decent pick, or does he still have a little bit to go there?
2: Going to have to wait and see on that one. Uh, Jerron Reed is a guy who's going to play tonight. I believe he was on the injury report, but we'll see. Uh, He is a handful in the middle there. Where it's really going to matter is when he faces the same guys that he got dusted by in the beginning of the year. He got demolished by Green Bay and crushed by Chicago. They're going to play those two teams at the end of the season. Then we're really going to see it, because that's Kenny Clark. That's Eddie Goldman. I don't know if Akeem Hicks is going to return this year, but if he does, that's Akeem Hicks. And those are some of the best players in the entire NFL that's when we'll really learn whether he has improved significantly. But I think his bounce back overall for the first couple of weeks, just by pro football-focused grades and things like that, has been impressive and puts you on more of a, confidence, a higher confidence level mm-hmm. in him than the first couple of weeks. And this is you know, how it goes in the NFL for an offensive lineman, but yikes, those first couple of weeks were really, really rough.
4: So what he's done since then has been pretty solid. You mentioned guys who are handfuls in the middle. Linval Joseph looks set to return tonight after missing the last couple of games. Two questions here: How did the? How do you think the D line did without him in his absence? And what do you? What do the Vikings do with him in the off, se- off season? His dead cap hit drops to two point four mil mm-hmm. this off season, according to Spotrac, and he'll be thirty two a month into next season.
2: Okay, so um, I'm going to say that they. Restructure his deal I think Zimmer loves him I don't think they'll move on from him But they will restructure
4: his deal He's going to stay And that's not terribly old for that position
2: No, but he isn't the same guy he was in like 2017 How they did uh, in his absence Really good against Ezekiel Elliott That was big Not so great against Denver Um, Afadi adenabo has been big for mixing in Him and Steven Weatherly For mixing in guys who can rush the passer a little But it's really noticeable And we'll see if we get this a little bit tonight Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter come flying off the edge and there's usually space to step up. When Tom Johnson and Sheldon Richardson had that spot, you couldn't step up. There was just nowhere to go. The pressure in the middle hasn't been great. I don't expect it gets way better with Linval. That's when he was at his absolute best. 2017 when Linval was hundred percent healthy and he was pressuring the quarterback in the middle. it was impossible for opposing quarterbacks. So, um, you know, I think that he is on the decline, probably still a
4: decent player, but the drop off was not huge uh when he was gone. And lastly here, there were questions at the beginning of the year whether Zim and Spielman would be back next year just they given they were each given a one year extension yep, and it's yep. kind of a, lot been of a long pressure. time. Yep. I think the consensus now seems to be that Zim has done enough to be back next year, correct me if I'm wrong there. Does that mean Spielman is in the same boat as well?
2: Uh, yeah, I think that they're a package deal. Yep. I mean, if you're ownership, you're looking at this thing like, hey, these were the guys that you entrusted to You get back to the NFC Championship yep. game, that you let Rick Spielman make the move to sign Kirk Cousins to go all in. And Zimmer, I get the sense that the Wolves are huge fans of Zimmer, but right now they are in the driver's seat to go be a great team, not just a good team. Mm But, I mean, that possibility is up there. NFC is falling in place for them to do this. Yep, it is. And if that doesn't happen, if we see some sort of 2016-like collapse or whatever else, then I think they would make a major overhaul. Um, But if they go back to the NFC Championship, win a playoff game, then I think they extend these guys again, and this is who's going to be you know, heading your team up for a long time. At at this moment, though, you would give them both very high grades. The last draft was terrific for this team. They got three major contributors just right away, which mm-hmm. have been uh, really important to them: Irv Smith, Al- Alexander Madison, and B. C. Johnson. And then the job Zimmer has done. I mean, even if it's just bringing in Gary Kubiak and handing the keys to Kevin Stefanski, still that was smart for them to get experienced people helping uh, to run the offense. So. Um, They're in good position, but still a lot of pressure and a long way to go over the stretch. And it starts tonight. So after the game, Judd and I will get together. We will give instant reactions, scorenorth.com. And if you have time before the game, Kirk versus the critics at scorenorth.com. I did the deepest of deep dives. I talked to Carson Palmer, another guy who was really good but criticized a lot uh, about his experience and how he sort of blocked out criticism and his opinion on Cousins. So... A lot of good stuff there, and uh, we will talk to you tomorrow and have basically post-game here on the show. Sort of fun. So, All right, we'll see you then. Coming up next, Mackie and Judd with
6: Rami. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar